0: Happy New Year! All right, before we get into this, how many of y'all, and it's dark so I can't see you and nobody else can. How many of y'all want 2012 to be a better year than 2011? Trans. I think that's everybody. Let me tell you, uh, I think a lot of us, 2011 was a a year of struggles, right? Man, i got to be honest with you. We we watched the ball drop last night in New York City at 11 o'clock. And then I snored a little bit. And then at 12, I woke back up and kissed my wife. And, uh, And after I kissed her, I prayed for this year. And I said, God, I want 2012 to be a lot better year. And I think a lot of us compare it to that. And to be honest with you, that's the reason why we're starting this new series about how to wreck your life. Now, here's the thing, and this is the thing I know about you and I. How do you define success in your life? Because as we go into 2012, we, we all look and we want to be successful. I mean, at the beginning of a new year, it's a valid question. How do you define success in your life? Because many of us, we're going to do a New Year's resolutions and we're going to put goals on paper and plans and dreams. But here's the thing. I've never met anyone who doesn't want to be successful. But yet, so many times, people wreck their lives. And I think one of the biggest ways that we can wreck our lives is because we don't define success for ourselves. We inherit a family definition or adopt a cultural norm of what success is. And we really don't think long and hard about what success looks like for us. Now, here's the thing about it. And this is a principle. You know this. Your parents probably told you this. If you don't aim at anything, then you're going to hit everything, right? You won't know what you... What you what you got once you get it. So that's one of the things we're really talking about in this series is really how do you how do you define death? I mean, we may achieve goals, we may achieve resolutions, but the end of 2012 still may have missed the mark because we define success based upon something that really isn't successful. That really shouldn't have been a goal at all. Let me throw a couple of ones out there. Making money. Being influential, having a lot of friends, getting married in 2000, um, getting into a new relationship, owning your own business, owning your own home, maybe selling your own home, just being rich. Let me give you a statistic. This is really interesting. Um, In 48 states, they did this question, and they asked 7,498 college students, and this is what they asked. What do you think is the most important thing in life? Now, it's no surprise that 19% of those said making a lot of money. You kind of expect it, right, from college students really anybody. But listen to this statistic. John Hopkins University. 75% of people said their, their most important thing was finding meaning and purpose. That's interesting. And that coming from college students you know Carl Jung the psychologist said it like this about a third of my cases are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis but from the senseless and empty of life so many times we can if we don't define success for ourselves we just kind of wander through life and we go through stuff and we start climbing ladders of success and we find out that they're leaned up against so what we're going to be doing over the next five weeks, looking at these five different areas that you can wreck your life. And this is interesting. How many of y'all journal? Let me see your hands. Wow, there's like one person. All right. Um, uh, How many of y'all have ever journaled in the past? Let me, yeah, that's a little bit more. My gum, y'all. Um, how many of y'all have ever snuck a peek at someone's diary? Tell the truth, shame the devil, right? It's a new year, it's time to tell the truth. I mean, baby, you went into your, you snuck in your sister's room and you opened up her diary, you picked the lock and you looked at it and you read some very personal stuff. Well, today we're going to be looking, and over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at a book in the Bible that somebody journaled some very personal stuff. And just as in my journal, I wouldn't want you reading everything in my journal and you wouldn't want me reading everything in your journal. For some reason, God allowed, the Holy Spirit allowed this guy to journal. And his journal made it into one of the 60 books of the Bible. I mean, you're talking about not being private, but being very, very public. And this guy we're going to be looking at, he drifted through life thinking, okay, well, this is a success. And he pursued that success. And at the end of the day, he realized that his ladder was up against the wrong goal and the wrong and then he would go to another thing, and he pursued success, and he became very successful in that area, only to find out that it wasn't quite what he had hoped. And we're going to be looking today into the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles, or if you have your U you Version, then you follow along with us. We would ask you that. Uh, we give away free Bibles here at One Church. You can pick one of those up as well. But in Ecclesiastes, kind of in the middle of the Bible, it's a little bit difficult to find. Right, it's it's Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and then Ecclesiastes. I'm I'm trying to help you out here, Ecclesiastes. It was written by a guy by the name of Solomon, Solomon, and that's where we're going to be looking at this guy who squandered it all, who had a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams. I mean, he had a lot of potential, but he didn't love up to his potential. Do y'all know anybody never lived up to their potential? I'm sure you have. Maybe uh, you were following some type of NFL or NBA uh, pro athlete, and you thought, "Man, they are going to be going to be amazing," but they didn't turn out amazing. They had a lot of potential, but they didn't live up to it. That's how Solomon was. And we're gonna live. We're gonna see in this 12 chapter book of Ecclesiastes. We're gonna see him kind of drift. From one area to this area to that area to that area. And we're going to get to the very end of his life. And he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was a very, very old man. And he has a lot of regret. He has a lot of pain. He has a lot of heartache. And when we read his journal in Ecclesiastes, we're going to hear him say, don't waste your life like I did. Don't drift from one thing to this thing, to that thing, and then at the end of your life, have no things to be able to have a legacy. We're going to see him saying, don't let pleasure or success or all of these things define who you are. But let something else deeper define who you are. And as we take a peek at his diary, we're going to see him saying, don't wreck your life like I have wrecked my life. All right, now before we dig in, how many of y'all, when you read, start a new book, you read the last first? One in here? All right, cool. All right. Now, I don't know why you do that. Sometimes I do that. Um, but this is what we're going to do today. We're going to read the last page first. Because if we don't read the last page first, this is going to be really depressing. I'm just going to be honest with you. All right? All right. So we're going to read the last page, a few verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. And this is what it says. It's on the screen. It says this. This is what he says after he wrecked his life. Now, all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. He's saying, this is it. This is the one thing, the meaning in life. He says, fear God, respect God, and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of every human being. He said, when it's all said and done, it's all about beginning and continuing an intimate relationship with God. It's about doing life with God. It's about respecting His authority, obeying His commands. It's about chasing after God and embracing Him to get to know God as your Heavenly Father, follow out hard after Him and pursuing Him all the days of your life. After He tries all of this stuff, he says, "This the meaning of life, and it's not it, God. It is following hard after God, and this is coming from a guy who, if anybody could have found meaning and purpose in life apart from God, it would have been Solomon. Let me tell you a little bit about Solomon. In fact, his original name and kind of what they called him was Jedediah. I just learned that. Our middle son is named Jed. All right, and let me tell you what Jedediah means. It means." Friend of God. Follower of God. But yet he didn't really, how, how do I, he didn't live up to that, that, that goal, that promise. He had two names. The second name we all know is Solomon. And, it means, and Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. And he was very wise and he became king once David passed away. And he ruled for 40 years. And we primarily read his story and his life in the book called First Kings. Now, in First Kings, let me kind of tell you how all of this kind came to be. Um, he gets the throne and he realizes he's in over his head. So he goes to sleep one night and he has a dream. And in this dream, God comes to him and starts speaking. And this is what God asked him. He says this, Solomon. You name me one thing that you want, anything, and I will give it to you. Now, at this point, he could have asked for riches. He could have asked for women. He could have asked for a bigger house, bigger car, all this stuff. But Solomon didn't ask for any of that. The one thing that Solomon asked God for, and he says this. Solomon says, I know I'm over my head. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know anything about leading these people. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask God that you give me wisdom so that I could be a great. And here's the thing, that is exactly what God did. I mean, that type of of answer, I mean, it really, that humble heart that Solomon had at that point, it was like it gave God the green light. And not only did God give him wisdom, but beyond his years, but he also blessed him in so many different ways. He had all of the money. He had all of that stuff. And it was in that context of this early years of having a humble heart and being very dependent upon God. And he started his life out well, but he didn't end his life well. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Solomon, he wrote a few books in the Bible. He wrote a a, a very erotic love story called Song of Solomon that one of these days I really want to kind of teach through here. Um, The last time i taught it at a previous church, It ticked a bunch of people off. And I'm like, don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. He put it in the Bible. They're like, I don't want to hear this. It's, I got to be honest with you, it's saucy. All right. Now he wrote Song of Solomon. Uh, He wrote a a book called Proverbs. And Proverbs are these amazing statements. Very, very wise statements. That again, somebody who had not been living a long time, God gave him this amazing wisdom. And even today, when you read Proverbs, there's 31 chapters proverbs interesting today's the first day of the year you can go through the book of proverbs in a month what is today january the first so you know what you can go home and read proverbs chapter one tomorrow is the second you read proverbs two and you go through all 31 days and you would have read the entire book of proverbs and you it's a great book now those are those two books but ecclesiastes he writes at the end of his life song of solomon is written when he's very very young Proverbs is written when he's middle age. In Ecclesiastes, he's done it all. He's danced it all. He's smoked it all. He's done it all. And he realizes that he made a huge, huge thing. Now, let me read you a little bit about his context in 1 Kings. Go to Ecclesiastes. It says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Amnon, Amnon, uh, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them, for they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had, how many? Dear Jesus. All right. I mean, you talking about, if any of y'all ever went to marriage counseling with one spouse, Um, I mean, this Crazy I mean this I mean, this has reality TV show all over it. sister wives, seven hundred, seven hundred wives, seven hundred wives of royal birth, and three hundred concubines. Now if you don't know what that is, those are just mistresses those are, I mean those are when the wife has a headache, right? I mean this guy was he went a little overboard. And his whole idea of pleasure, and he got a little carried away. And in fact, he they did, listen to this, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, Father David. See, this was one step, not the only step, but one step that he took away from God that once he gets to the end of his life, he has a lot of regrets. And this leads us to a principle. It's not our big idea, but I gotta say this. Let me tell you. Your choice of spouse, your choice of spouse, whether husband or wife, it's going to draw you either closer to God or it's going to pull you farther away. You you hear what I said? Your choice of who you're going to marry, if you're single, you need to hear this. That person is either going to draw you closer to God or that person is going to draw you farther away. There is no, There is no neutral. Now some of you are like, well, you know, he's a Christian or she's a Christian, but they never do come to church. Well, again, quick question Do you think that person's going to draw you closer to God or farther away from God? The answer is very clear farther away. You know, when somebody is not a part of a fellowship, and by the way, I'm just going to say this, this is not even my notes. So you ever watch National Geographic in the wildebeest who gets away from the herd and he's alone? You know what you, they call that person? Bunch right? Because the lions, the, the lionesses, I should say, because the lions don't do nothing. The lionesses, they go and they kill it, right? The alligators chomp on it. I'm telling you, it very, very important. Yes, your spouse may say that they're a Christian, but are they living a growing Christian life? And hear me now, if you're already married, it's too late. All right. The, the best thing you can do is not nag them to death. All right, but the best thing for you to do is to get your spiritual walk right, so that you can you, they can drift towards you. But I'm telling you, your choice of spouse will either draw them close, draw you closer to God, or push you farther away from God. There is no neutral, and we get that principle right here. First Kings, right here. Now Ecclesiastes chapter one. What this is the very beginning. This is the introduction. We've read the last page. Now let's go to the intro. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. And this is what this is his philosophy on life. Y'all ready? It's a really good one. Everything is... Isn't that fun? You know, some of y'all are going, I got to listen to five weeks of this? <laughs> it gets better. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaning, meaningless. I mean, are you looking for somebody to come and, and to pump up your business, maybe be a motivational speaker to your team? you looking for somebody as a, if you're a coach, somebody to come into the locker room and pump up. I mean, this guy is not the guy because he's going, meaningless. Now, let me tell you what that that little Hebrew word, the the original language that this book is written is, and it, and, it, and it says this. The word in Hebrew is havel. Everybody say havel, havel, and this is what it means: emptiness, futility a vapor that vanishes quickly and leaves nothing behind. Now here's the here's the point. When you take God out of the equation of your life, everything becomes a veil. Everything becomes meaningless. I mean, when you pull God out of your life and out of your picture and out of your goals and out of your success story and your dreams, You will climb the ladder and everything will be like a soap bubble. Once it pops, you got nothing. That is how, that was his mindset. Everything is a veil, completely meaningless. And here's the thing, Solomon's failure of him not drifting away from God, it, it not only wrecked his life, but it wrecked other people's lives as well. Here's a principle. When you're a leader, and by the way, if you're a man in here, you're a leader of your home. You may be a leader at work. You, uh, um, there may be some uh, ladies in here who are uh, principals or doctors or lawyers or gentlemen in here who are doctors. Or, I mean, you you you're, you have this important part of your company. And hear me, when you implode and when you explode, it will affect you, but it will affect other people around you. It's like taking a hand grenade, pulling the pin, and clutching it to your chest in a room full of crowded people. It will destroy you, but a bunch of other people—shrapnel. That is a huge principle, and let me tell you, when it comes to Solomon, because Solomon drifted away from God, it affected him. But it not only affected him; it affected his family, it affected his children. In fact, it affected the entire nation of Israel. Get this, guys! Once he becomes, uh, he he ends his reign after forty years, and he dies immediately. The the whole nation of Israel has a civil war and it splits up and there's a north and south and the entire nation of Israel doesn't come together until 3,000 years later in the year of 1948. Now, I mean, for 3,000 years because of this one guy's disobedience, it affected a nation. And so don't even begin to think, you know what, my stuff only affects me. No, 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 no. It always affects other people. It is a, It makes a huge rippling of. All right? Now, some of you, you remember these words, these next words in Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In fact, you may not even need to look at the screen. It says this. Trust in the Lord all of your heart. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Y'all know that, right? Now, the same guy who wrote that, is the same guy whose life imploded, and at the end of Solomon's life, he's going, dude, I wish I would have just followed my own advice. Y'all ever know people who are smart but yet are dumb? Y'all know people like that? Some of y'all like, I married one of those. We'll talk later. Don't raise your hand. All right. I mean, I mean, because there's something about you can go to a lot of conferences. In fact, you can even teach a lot of conferences, and yet still not apply the knowledge that you got up here down here and down here, and then you don't work it out for yourself. And that's exactly what Solomon did. Solomon's life exploded, and it, it affected everything else. It's like this, all right? How many of y'all had one of these when you were growing up? All right? My kids had one of these as well. I think the reason why we give these to our kids is so that we can frustrate them. <clears throat> but, you know, these little shape balls. You know, if you try to put this circle and try to put it in a square hole... It doesn't work. It, 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 it won't work except in one hole. And I really feel like so many times, this is how a lot of people approach life. They go and they try to fill a lot of square pegs and round holes, and it just doesn't fit. And they get frustrated. And then they try something else. Okay, well, if that doesn't work, then I'll try this. And that doesn't work. When all all the while, God has given us these God-shaped holes, these vacuums inside of our, house, our hearts, the only way it will fit if we put him in there. But we try to fit a lot of square pegs and round holes and wonder why we get frustrated. And so many times people choose education, people choose money, people choose influence, people choose stuff, they choose a lot of other things to try to make this work, and it does not work. Work. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. I said to myself, Solomon says, Come on, let's try pleasure. Let's try pleasure. I mean, hey, maybe that'll fit, right? So let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this truth too, was what? A veil, meaningless. It was a vapor. So I said, Laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? You know what? I gotta be honest with you. I love funny stuff. I love listening to comedians, right? I love playing practical jokes. Now you need to know if you pray a practical joke on me, I'm not just gonna get even, I'm gonna get ahead. In fact, I want to dump my notes. Um I remember when I was in high school, Clarksville High here, I did a practical joke one time. It's amazingly if you t- I bought a box of BBs. And if you unscrew the valve cap off of a tire and you drop a BB down in that valve cap, and then you screw it back on the tire. It let the air out. And I did that to everybody's, everybody. The teachers, the students, I even did my own. But I just happened, because you got to do that. You, yeah. uh, and I've not yet been caught. So hopefully the principal at Clarksville High won't listen to this podcast, okay? Um, but here's the thing. I just happened to have in my trunk an air pump. And I went around to the entire cheerleading squad. And I said, Hey, baby. No, I'm just joking. Actually, I did do that. Um, anyway, my point is I, practical jokes are fun, sometimes fun. And you, But here's the thing sometimes laughter is just a way of masking the pain. Right? And sometimes the person who is the funniest person in, in the life of the party is really the loneliest guy or the loneliest gal around. I mean, I just Googled sad comedian. And man, you would not even all the pain out there. Just in SNL alone, Saturday Night Live. I mean, think about this way: Uh, Jim Belushi. All right, Um, uh, you know Pepsi, you know Coke, Pepsi. I love that. He died of a heroin heroin and over and cocaine overdose. Very very young. Chris Farley. I remember Chris Farley living in a van. Thank you. Chris Farley was in rehab. 31 times in his 33-year life, and he died of an overdose, cocaine overdose. There's Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was killed by his intoxicated wife while he was sleeping. Richard Pryor married seven times, and he was diagnosed with MS and died in 2005. Gilda Radner struggled with bulimia and died with ovarian cancer in 19... 19- I mean, this one, guy, this one guy went to the counselor one day and he's struggling with depression. The counselor, after the, the hour was up, he said, you know what, I'm like a good guy and I normally don't do this, but a friend of mine gave me two tickets to a comedy club tonight. And this young guy, he's going to be there and I hear he's really, really funny. Why don't you come? And the guy he invited kind of hung his head in shame. He said, I'm going to be at that comedy See, here's the thing. Sometimes laughter can just—it's just a mask to hide the pain. How many of y'all know this person up on the screen? All right, Shia LaBeouf. I mean, Transformer things, or all right, cool. Let me tell you, this is this is a quote that he gave in um, U.S. Weekly. Listen to what he says. Sometimes I feel I'm a me, a living a meaningless life, and I get frightened. I know that I'm. One of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. I've got a lot of money. I'm famous, but it could all change. I could go away. You never know. I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're really worth it. Worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it. Wow. What? Solomon said, I tried to mask emptiness with pleasure. I tried filling that hole with pleasure in my life. It was meaningless. Look at verse 3. After much thought I decided to cheer myself up with wine and while still seeking wisdom I clutched at foolishness. In this way I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life. Solomon says I'm just going to get smashed. I am going to get lit up. Solomon says I'm going to become a party animal and this guy Knew out a party he was the richest guy in his kingdom he sent invitations to everybody he says you know what y'all come not to my place tonight but to my palace tonight i got some wings i got some bud light i got some 60 inch plasmas we are gonna have fun or hank williams jr said it a little bit this way he says we got a pig in the ground we got some beer on ice all my rowdy friends are i know that and y'all like, please stop singing. Solomon just said, "You know what? I'm gonna get lit." And some of you know exactly what that feels like, especially because it's New Year's Day. You're going it's so loud, right? But here's the thing: many of us, you're not say all of us, have tried throwing and finding meaning in life, but you know, just going and just having a good time and going to parties. And let me tell you, what we got was not a purpose in life, but what we got was an addiction. We became more lonelier. And we realized that when you're 20 and you do all of that stuff, you're the light of the party. But when you're 40, you're the loneliest person around. Because the people you party with at 20 are not the people you party with. at. Realized it was Havel. It was meaningless. Verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling with them all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water and irrigate many flourishing groves. I mean, Solomon was addicted to HGV. And I'll tell you, being in Israel, you can still tour all of these many magnificent buildings, some of the ruins. He had these huge building products. And this is what he thought. I will, I'm will, i going to throw myself into my external circumstances and I'm going to make them better and maybe I'm going to find happiness. You know what? It was a veil. It was meaningless. Let me tell you, it took him seven years to build the temple. How many years did it take him to build the temple of God? You know how long it took him to build his own house? Palace? Palace? Maybe that should tell you a little bit about his misplaced priorities. All right? verse 7 and 8. I bought slaves, both men and women, and there were others born in my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any other kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. He had uh, just unbridled sexual experiences with a thousand different women. I had everything a man could desire, and at the end, it is Havel. It is meaningless. It is empty, empty and Solomon is miserable. You know what? So, I remember when I was in Dallas Seminary, going to seminary, and going to, going to the Cowboys games. I remember seeing Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. They called those guys the triplets. At the very end, I got this Deion Sanders. And you may like or hate Deion Sanders. I kind of don't know where you kind of fall on that. I, I mean, I really enjoyed watching him play. Um, and uh, let me give you, though, a quote from Deion Sanders. He wrote an autobiography called Power, Money, and Sex, How Success Almost Ruined My Life. Listen to what Deion Sanders said. Deon, Deon. Everything I t- touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. Dion says, I remember sitting back at the practice field one afternoon away from everybody and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. The Bible describes it. The first chapter of Ecclesiastes is chasing after the wind. And that's exactly what it was. You know, Dion was unsatisfied, but now over 10 years ago, he found Jesus Christ. and gave his heart to Jesus Now, amazingly through this, Solomon writes in verses 9 through 11, So I became greater than all who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me, and anything I wanted, I would take. That's a statement under itself. He never looked at a price tag. Go on reading. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so like chasing. There was nothing really worthwhile. You know, during the course of this series, we're going to be uh, uh, having a book out on our resource table that you it's a great book by Dr. Henry Cloud, and it's it's called The Law of Happiness. It's about Ecclesiastic. Quote it says this: It's the, the book is based upon biblical principles, but it's on ecclesiastics. It's also based on scientific research. I'll quote you a couple of things. It says this: When we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we are ignoring the ones that do. In fact. That is the big idea of Ecclesiastes, and that's our big idea today, and this is what it says. When we pursue things that don't satisfy, we ignore the one that does satisfy. Can we all say that out loud? When we pursue things that don't satisfy, we ignore the one that does satisfy. When we get all caught up in pursuing all of these things that Solomon is talking about, all of these things that, that make a promise that doesn't deliver, We then miss out on all the things that could give us life, that could give our lives. We miss out on it and we start focusing on other things instead of God and what he's given us. And we become more, we become less thankful, less content, more angry, more bitterness, more frustration, more frustration. In fact, look at this slide and I want to, I want to ask you this question. What do you put the blank in this slide? And this is what it is. If only I could blank, then I would be happy. What do you put in that blank? All of us have something to put in that blank, don't we? I mean, some of the when you got up this morning and you're thinking the New Year's resolution, you're thinking, if only I could lose, t- if only I could get make better grade, if only I could get that. If only I could uh, get that next car. If only I could own a home. Some of you are like, if only I could sell a home. What are you talking about? I mean, if only I could live somewhere else. If only I could get married. Some of you are thinking, if only I could be Right? If only. What do you fill in that blank? I mean, that's huge. Because you know what the research shows? This is what Dr. Cloud says. Studies show that our circumstances account for less than 10% of our happiness. I want to read that one more time. Studies show that our circumstances account for less than 10% of our happiness. They have us, they have the power to make us feel happy for just a little while. In fact, I mean, that new car, that raise, that promotion, you're gonna be glad for about a week. But after that week, it, that happiness has about the same. Shelf life is the milk in your refrigerator right now that says January the Because in today, gone. And you want something else. If you're living your life trying to fill in that blank, you know, when, or this, when blank happens, then I will have a life. When blank happens, then I'll have a life. When Some of you, you're like, if I, let me give you statistics on this. This, this is what the research If you're a happy single person, then when you get married, guess what you're going to be? A happy married person. Some of you all said an unhappy marriage. No, no, no. Wrong. You're going to be a happy married person. Now, here's the thing. If you are an unhappy single person, when you get married, do you know what you're going to be? An unhappy married person. Because if we're waiting for something to fill in the blank... It's never going to work. You know what happens when we actually get that blank filled? We just move on to the next blank. Right? Some of you know this. Christmas was seven days ago today. How many of y'all's kids, I mean, you saved all this money and you gave them Christmas gifts. How many of y'all's kids' Christmas gifts are like in the corner broken? Right? right? They've forgotten about them. They're playing with the box that came in. Seriously. And some of you, if you just think it's about the kids, and kids do this, look in your garage. Uh-oh. You're, you're somebody's elbowing you. Honey, it's time to go. I'm just telling you. Look in your garage. Look in your outbuilding. Look in your storage building. And those things were the things five years ago, ten years ago, you said you got to have. But those things didn't bring you pleasure. They didn't bring you happiness. You just moved on to the next blank. And that's exactly what happens. This hundred year old old lady said it like this she says, When you get a hundred, you always you don't buy green bananas. I like that. I like that. Now what this lady is saying is simply this you know what? You don't wait for future things to give you fulfillment. And that's what Solomon is telling us. If you're waiting on something for the future to give you happiness for today, you will be waiting for eternity. Because happiness is not found on the next purchase or the next buy or on tomorrow or a circumstance making you happy. No. Solomon is teaching you and I that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks that happiness is only found. That's it. That if you want to have a life filled with meaning, If you're like me, hoping, better. But the only thing you're doing is the wishing, hoping, and you're not acting. If you're not making God your priority, there's going to be another thing. Got an extra day. You're going to go through and you're going to get. At the You know, so many times we kind of pump us up, and that means I can dunk. All right. But what Paul is talking about in that finding. If you want to find commitment, it begins not tomorrow, but it begins. It begins by looking at the last page. You know what? It's about God following. So my challenge for today is: Will you? Will you make? 2012, the year where you, whether it's hell or high water, I am going to pursue God everything. I'm going to pray harder than I've ever prayed. I'm going to read my Bible more in depth and longer than I ever have. I am going to get more involved with the things of God and the things that God cares about. That is what will flip your life up. But if you don't make God your priority. I.